Well, we are in our last in the message of the colors of salvation. And again, if you've missed any of these uh, messages, we do have them out on YouTube under our church page. We also, if you listen to podcasts, we also have them on podcasts. If you would like them on um, uh, CD, we can also do that for you. So I think it's uh, very important, and I think as we take this with us after today, um, and today is really the, the easiest of all of them. You've, you've uh, sort of passed the test as we've gone along here, and uh, uh, we'll run through it again. So what does black mean? Sin. Our sin separates us from God. And in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we think about that, we can relate with that with everybody. Uh, when we sit with them, we can let them know that. Well, there it is. Let's get on it. Red represents Christ's blood. So we sinned. Christ paid for that sin. God demonstrated his own love towards us that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, I think these are on, on the bookmark. If not, uh, we have them in the bulletin. So mark these down. Gold or yellow represents what? Yeah, eternal life. We're going to spend forever in a city of gold with God. And so that's a wonderful thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So as we're sharing this with people, it's easy. We're all sinners. But Christ came and died for us, and he's offering us this eternal life. And white represents what? Purity. And so we want to be pure. God wants us to be pure. He wants to wash us of those sins that we have in our life. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he wants to cleanse us. He wants to make us righteous. We want to be Christ-like. And then we talked last week about blue. means baptism. We were buried with him through baptism. And so though baptism doesn't save, it's that perfect picture of what we do to represent others. And it's a command that God gave us. Therefore, and go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we don't just do it as a picture, but we do it in obedience to what God has. And as I shared last week, it's the first thing he really calls us to do as a believer. And it's really the simplest thing he's probably ever going to call us to do as a believer. And if we can't be obedient in the simplest of things, how do we expect to be obedient in the other things? So today's message is, is a lot simpler and it's about green. And what do you think green represents? In, in grass. Well, growth. We're coming to the end of the, the, the summer season here, but green represents growth. So when we know all these things, we're sinners. Christ died for our sins. He's offered us eternal life. He wants to wash us and make us new, and we accept that gift. He wants us to grow. And so he tells us, like newborn babies crave the pure spiritual milk so that, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I can just speak for myself, but when I was first saved, man, I was excited about things. I wanted to tell everybody everything. I wanted to 
to, to let all my friends know, and, and even in the church, you know, you want to get all involved, and you're really craving. I remember I was reading my Bible all the time. I was reading other books all the time. It was just like I couldn't get enough of it. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church, we sort of try to tamper people down. We, we don't want them to get too radical. We say, oh, settle down a little bit. You know, you don't want to scare people off. And we, we buy into that. But that's not what the scripture says. When we are born again, we should have that zeal. We should have that energy. We should have that, that zest. And it says like a newborn baby, crave pure spiritual milk. You know, one thing about a baby is when they're hungry, everybody knows it, don't they? You can be in a big auditorium, you can be in Walmart, you can be wherever you want, and if that baby's hungry, he's going to let everybody know about it. And so God is telling us as newborn babes, we should also crave that spiritual milk. We should really be seeking out ways to, to learn and to grow. And I know like during this time, uh, through, through the, all the restrictions that have been around, it gets difficult at times. You know, we, we say, well, we can't do it the normal way. You know, we're used to going to church three, four times a week. Well, now we're not able to do that. Well, when we're hungry, we'll find ways to do it, right? There's podcasts and there's uh, some on the TV. There's the radio. There's, there's other ways. We still have small groups that get together. Start a Bible study at your home. Get in the Word. I mean, that's how we get fed. We are feeding off the Word of God. And it says that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So he doesn't want us just to stay where we're at, but he wants us to, to grow in our salvation. Second Peter tells us this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual edification, and to mutual edification, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he sort of gives us, Peter here is sort of giving us a list of of things that, that we want to add to this faith. And unfortunately in our world today, people like to say a prayer and just say, well, that's it. They go on and continue to live their life as they always have. And they'll just say, well, that's, that's all I needed to do is just ask Jesus into my heart. Now I'm not going to hell, but I can still continue to live the way I want to. But God doesn't tell us that. God tells us that he wants us to grow. He tells us, to make every effort to add to these things. And when we look at these things, we need to really say, well, what are they? Now, God gives us our measure of faith. But he says, whatever measure of faith that he has given us, because we're saved by grace through faith, right? So we have this faith. It says, add to your faith goodness. Okay? To be good. Just to do those things that is right. To goodness knowledge. We want to learn about God's word. This is growth. This is how we grow spiritually. Paul had a, an issue with the, the Corinthian church a little bit. And he says, I, I still need to talk with you as babes. And he says, though you should be eating meat, he says, I'm still having to give you milk. And that's sort of reflective of the churches everywhere. There's, there's very few churches that, that people crave and grow and, and really you know, want, want more and are, are maturing together because so many of us just sit back and are sort of passive in our faith and we're passive in our learning and we're passive in the things that God wants us to do. But he says, add to goodness, knowledge. Knowing what we ought to do. Knowing what God's word says we ought to do. 
Are you spending time in your Bible? Are you spending time learning? Are you spending time in devotions? Are you spending time in prayer? Because that's where we get some of our knowledge. It says to knowledge self-control. Self-control is a difficult thing. Self-control means that sometimes we need to constrain ourselves from doing the things that may become natural. And so in this time that we're in right now, I say that when we look at the world, we see man's nature. We see anger, we see hostility, we see hatred, we see all sorts of things that shouldn't be, uh, you know, in a Christian's life for sure. But we see sometimes Christians representing some of those same things. And so it tells us here that we need to exercise self-control. Sometimes when somebody hurts us as a Christian, we want to retaliate. But it takes self-control not to do that. Somebody says something negative to us or about us, and we want to say something negative back to them. We need to exercise self-control. Self-control is, is a sign of maturity. When you see little children that have a temper tantrum in the store because they didn't get what they want, that's immaturity. But when you see somebody that says, you know, I, I can't have this for various reasons, whatever those reasons may be, and they can control themselves, that's a sign of becoming mature. And so maturity also means sometimes setting our wants and needs aside that others may benefit from our time or those resources. So self-control, we add to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance. We continue on. Sometimes it seems hard. Sometimes the road gets rough. Sometimes the mountain is steep. Sometimes the desert is dry. And, and we feel like throwing up the white flag and giving up. Today in churches, so many people walk away when something doesn't go their way. And they just walk away. They don't persevere. They don't try to deal with those things. Sometimes in faith even, in issues of faith, we think God has left us and so we just go back to our old vices, our old ways. We need to persevere. We need to continue. As we talk about witnessing and sharing people and, and growing in faith, you may say, well, I've shared the gospel with that person, you know, one time, five times, ten times. I've shared with them a hundred times. They're never going to get it. We persevere. My grandma prayed for me a long, long time before I ever came to know Christ. And I'm sure others did too. We don't give up. We continue on because we got that message that will give eternal life. And so it tells us to persevere, to perseverance, godliness, acting in a godlike manner. Remember, God said, Be holy as I am holy. We're to be the image of Christ. There's a, the, the saying is that sometimes we are the only Jesus some people will ever see. Well, that's sort of a heavy load to carry on our shoulders, and not that we represent or that we are an image of Jesus, but to the world we may be. And so it's important what we do. It's important how we act. It's important how we treat people. It's important, as, as we shared during prayer time, some of the examples that are given, not even for that purpose, but they're showing godliness. They're showing part of our character of who we are. And that's really what the godliness is. Christ gave us the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And we let that out in our life by showing others. Doing things that God would do. That we believe God would do. 
You know, what would Jesus do? To godliness, mutual affection. Having a care and a, and a concern for others. We don't distinguish. God doesn't like partiality. He warns about that in, in many, we're in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians going through the, the men's study on Tuesday mornings. And it talks about separating others out by whatever variation. By race, by social status, by, you know, whatever it may be. But we distinguish value upon people. We're to have a mutual edification or a mutual um, affection for one another. We really need to have a love for people, a love for lost. In order to share the gospel, that's the very crux. 1 Corinthians 13 talks all about love. Love is the central thing. We, need, we may not like some people, okay? Don't get me wrong. We may not like some people, but we need to love them, right? Because Christ loved them. And so we still share that gospel. We have that, that mutual affection. I'm not going to let somebody that has, has hurt me or scorned me or, or done me wrong, I'm not going to wipe them off and say, well, I'm not sharing the gospel. I'm not dealing with that. No, we need that. We need to, to have that care for them. And it says this, into mutual uh, affection, love. And again, love is the central thing of, of all things that we do. And we are not going to grow in our relationship with Christ if love is not the central thing in our life. Why do we pray for one another? Because we love one another. Why do we go visit one another? Because we care for one another. You know, why, why, do, we, why do we even worry about things? Because people are important to us. And so we need that love. And it's not our love. It's not the love of the world. Because the love of the world says, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. The love is the love that Christ gave us. And if we remember back to red, why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. It's not love that we love God, but that he first loved us. And so we may have people around us or in our life, and we extend love to them by our actions, by our words, by our thoughts, by whatever ways that God would have us to do it. And it says when you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that's growth. Okay? It's not that, well, I did it once. In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches today and people in churches today, because that's what a church is, is its people, have become ineffective and unproductive in their spiritual lives, pretty much. And if I even were to ask you, when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you sat down and had a, a, a deep spiritual talk with somebody? When's the last time you confronted a sin, again in love, in somebody's life that you know was destructive in their life? When is the last time? Have you become ineffectual? Have you become unproductive? And that's what this whole series has been about, the colors of salvation is being effective in what we do and being productive in what we do. Productive meaning producing something. We're producing the fruit of the Spirit. And you can read about that in Galatians. That's what God's desire is for us. Hebrews tells us this, Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. God wants us to grow. It's not 
just enough to know that Christ died for us. I mean, Satan knows that, right? Even It says even the demons believe and tremble. But there's more to Christ. He's not just a historical figure, but he is someone that is alive and living and in the world today. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and he wants us to go beyond just the altar call. He wants us to go beyond just the coming to church. He wants us to be lights in the world, and he tells us that. He wants us to be salt and light in this world. And are we doing that? Are we being light and salt in this world? Or are we being ineffective and unproductive in our life? So green really means things grow. We need to grow. The grass grows. We're coming to the end of the growing season. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But trees grow. Things that are green grow. So when we look at this, we need to be reminded each day that we need to grow. And, and I really say to people, we need to wake up each day saying, I want to grow a little bit more. I want to grow in the knowledge. I want to grow in his love. I want to grow in his grace. I want to grow in his mercy. I want to grow in all the characteristics that God has for us. Are you doing that in your life? So after praying for forgiveness and for Jesus coming into our heart, we need to emphasize that for people. You need to attach yourself to a Bible-believing church. You need to get involved in a Bible study. You need to find somebody that can mentor with you. And listen, a lot of people don't even like to mentor today because why? It takes up time. If I'm going to mentor with somebody, if I'm going to counsel a couple or counsel an individual or help somebody to grow, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes research. It takes all these things that are so in demand in the world today that it's sometimes easier for us, not sometimes, it's always easier for us just to say, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the energy. But it's important that you grow into a relationship with Jesus. And you tell people you can do this by, by talking to God, which is prayer, by reading his scriptures, the Bible, right? And by obeying him, following what God says. That is how we grow. We also grow by that obedience. And we need that in our life also. And when we become Christians, that broken relationship in the black, remember, that was a broken relationship with God because of what we had done, not because of what he has done. That broken relationship is restored. And so when you have a friend, don't you like that friendship to grow? Don't you like that friendship to get stronger? If you've ever been blessed in life by really having somebody in your life that is just a, a true friend, that you know that no matter when you called them, no matter what you needed, no matter what was going on in your life, they were there for you. You're lucky. Because in our social media world today, friendships like that are getting fewer and fewer. But Jesus says he wants to be that friend too. And we know that we can go to him with whatever we have. We want to build on that relationship. We want to be strengthened in our relationship with him. And you know one thing about friends, as you get to know somebody, maybe, maybe we just meet. I just come and I just meet him and now we're friends. I like this guy. He's sort of neat. I want to learn more about him. Tell me about yourself. And he'll start telling me about himself. And he'll say, what about me? And as you go, you start talking back and forth. And you're listening. And you become 
deeper and richer in your friendship. And pretty soon, you begin to know that person really in an intimate way. You can almost finish their sentences in some cases. You know, you know all about them. You know the things that hurt them. You know the things that, that make them happy. That's what Jesus craves with us. But that only comes through growth. And that's why it tells us, like newborn babes, crave this in your life. So we got this life. We're born again. We're living our life that, that God has called us to live. But he tells us this. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Are you studying God's word? You know, it's not to gain my approval. It's not to show off for your neighbors. I've shared different stories. I shared about a kid in, in uh, Lincoln Hills that, that had hundreds of scriptures memorized, but he never applied them to his life. This is study to show yourself approved unto God. And then he calls us this, a workman. A workman that needs not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly knowing how to apply the scripture. And it says, I needs not be ashamed. A worker that needs not be ashamed. So we begin to grow. Second Corinthians 3.2 states this, that we're epistles... But he's talking about Paul here. He says, you are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. I, I sometimes modify that to say, we are living epistles, known and read of all men. Our life is a living book. Okay, so we come to Christ, we are a Christ follower. We are his, his ambassador now, right? And we become this book, this living epistle, known and read of all men. And so that's really the message. Our life is this living book. And people are going to look at our life. And they're going to look at our faith. And when we're really passionate about something and, and want to share that, they're going to know if it's really true in our life or if it's important to our life. But our life is a story that's un unfolding continually for others to see. So if we're growing, the world sees. If we're changing, the world sees. When we're filling up the pages of the storybook called Life. Every day we add to this book. Because when we talk about growth now, we talk about bringing somebody to the point of accepting Christ. This is, this is crucial. And you can share this with them. That your, your book is, your life is a book and you're writing a page each day. You're writing a sentence with everything that we do. A sentence, a paragraph, a page. Each day we are, are doing and adding to this book that we call life. Though we can't really change what we wrote yesterday, we have the opportunity from this point forward to change a sentence or to change a paragraph to add or remove characters from our life sometimes we need to do that for our own health for our own growth but we have that opportunity we can create new outcomes as long as we are this living book because when we're dead and gone it's over and done with why is salvation so important 
because each of our lives is going to come to an end and the question will be asked. We can grow in this likeness of Christ. You know, Job 19, it said this, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Little did the author of Job know that that's the truth. How many hundreds or thousands of years later and we're reading these pages of a life. And there's nothing worse than a story with no ending. We're sitting here all today with our story. We all have a story to tell. If I was to come and sit with each of you and I said, tell me your story, you're, you're going to go back and, and you're going to, well, when I was a young kid, this and that, and I got married, or I got this, or I got that, and this is how it went, and made some mistakes, and had some blessings, and that's our story of our life, right? But there's nothing worse than the story with no ending. And sometimes you will ask that person, if you were to die today, where are you going? Some are going to say, I have no idea. Some joke and say, oh, to hell with all my buddies. Some may say, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I haven't been that bad. But that's really not an accurate portrayal of the end of the story. Because as we've gone through these colors of salvation, God tells us these things. And there's nothing worse than a, a book that's missing the final chapter of the last few pages, Right? Have you ever read through a book and, and uh, all of a sudden like, oh man, it's missing a page. And it's like, oh, that's terrible. There's nothing worse than a book that has that. Because we can speculate, we can guess, we can assume, we can presume, we can make all sorts of uh, assumptions of maybe how that story would end, but we're really not going to know unless the book is finished, right? And for us, sitting here, we can say, and the question of Christ is answered. That's why we share salvation, because we want everyone to have that question of Christ answered in their life. Now, maybe not everyone is going to make the right choice and answer the question of Christ right in their life, accept him as Savior. But we want everyone to do that. You know, there was a, a we did a funeral a few weeks back or about a month ago and I, and I heard a story and I, I wanted to share it because I think it's sort of appropriate for where we're at and what we're going through. It was in the 1970s that uh, this man named Carl McCune, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he moved to Alaska, he took a trucking job, was making lots of money, had lots of friends, he worked on the Alaska pipeline and um, everything was going fine in this life. And he decided one time at the age of 35 that he wanted to go on this excursion, this five-month excursion into the, the remote parts of Alaska and take pictures of, of the animals and the beauty and the nature and, and everything that's there. If, if you're a nature lover, I'm a nature lover. And... He just wanted to go out there and, and spend the summer just really enjoying his time. And so he began to, uh, or his friends described afterwards, how he began to plan for this quest. It wasn't just off the cuff, I'm going to hop on a plane and go. He, he planned for a year 
everything that he needed because he was going to be out in the middle of nowhere. He was going to be where nobody else was. And so he devoted a year to making really um, a very detailed plan on what he needed, what he was going to bring, where he was going to go. He solicited advice. He purchased supplies. He, he bought everything that he needed. And in March of 1981, he hired a bush pilot to drop him on uh, a remote lake of uh, the Colleen River, some 70 miles northwest of Fort Yukon. And so there he was. He took two rifles, a shotgun, 1,400 pounds of provisions, 500 rolls of film. He wanted to have everything just so when he was out there. He set up his tent and set about this season of isolation. His, his dream plan was beginning to unfold as he was writing these pages of his life. But he was blissfully really unaware that he overlooked one important thing that would cost him his life. He had made no arrangements to be picked up. And so this blunder really didn't dawn on him until about the middle of August. And uh, what do you say? What do you do? He began to hope that his friends would miss him, that somebody would, uh, you know, or maybe the bush pilot would say, you know, I wonder if anybody's going to go pick him up. He was hoping to see a plane. Uh, he had made no arrangements to be picked up. He had planned for everything in this trip, except the most important thing, his departure. You and I plan for everything in this life. We want to buy houses, we want to earn this, we want to have this in the bank, we want to make sure we experience this and that in our life, but I want to ask you, have you planned for your departure? And as you sit with somebody, and maybe you have, but as you sit with somebody else, maybe you would share a story, something like this, and asking that person, have you planned for your departure? We know the story of this because of this, uh, he had about a hundred page loose leaf diary that was found by the state troopers uh, near his body the following February. And in a statement really, an understatement really the size of Mal McKinley, this was a blunder that was really unprecedented up in that area. They really didn't know what to think about that because of somebody that had no foresight in their departure. And they know in this diary it, it shared different things. As the day shortened, the air chilled. He began to search the ground for food and skies for rescue. He was running low on ammunition. Hiking out was impossible. Sometimes we look for all the ways that we can save ourselves. He had no solution but to hope someone in the city would notice his absence. Sort of a hopeless situation as you think about it. By the end of September, snow was piling up. The lake was froze, the supplies were nearly gone, his body fat began to metabolize, making it difficult to stay warm. Temperatures were around zero degrees, frostbite began to attack his fingers and toes. And by late November, McCune was out of food, strength and optimism. One of his final diary entries reads, this is sure a slow and agonizing way to die. He was isolated with no rescue, 
trapped with no exit, nothing to do but to wait for the ending. You know, when we look at the world today, we can see that. That there are people out there that are dying a slow death. They've isolated themselves. They don't see themselves as worthy to the Lord. They don't see themselves as, as somebody that God would care to save. They feel like they're trapped maybe with no exit. I've talked with people that say, you know, why would God want to save me for what I've done? Or they'll tell me, you don't understand what I've done. And for a lot of them, they're waiting hopelessly for the ending with no exit. We have that opportunity to share the gospel with them. It's a chilling thought, isn't it? I mean, it's really puzzling. We have that, that hope. We have that, that message that can speak life into somebody. To those that have no exit strategy. You know, we could ask him, well, didn't he know every trip comes to an end? I mean, Julie and I, we fly up to our friend's resort, or to our cabin in Canada, but when we go, we say, pick us up next week this time. We stay in contact. We've, we've made our preparations. Spiritually, have you made your preparations? Some people think their life is going to last forever. Maybe someday I'll get right with Christ. But our life isn't going to last forever. You know, if you're to take your fingers and then feel the pulse in your, in your wrist, I can feel that. Someday that's going to stop. It's sort of quiet in here. You can probably feel yourself breathing. Someday we're going to breathe that last breath. If Jesus tarries, one day we're all going to die. It's inevitable. And I know it's an uncomfortable fact to consider, but it's true. Even by the quietness when we talk about these things, it just makes us uneasy thinking about this. Carl Kuhner had a quote that said this, Death is the most democratic institution on earth. It allows no discrimination. It tolerates no exceptions. The mortality rate of mankind is the same the world over. One death per person. But we've learned a message over the last month and a half. We've learned a message. Psalms 89.48 says this, Who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? And the answer really is no one. No one. Young and old, good, bad, rich, poor, neither gender, doesn't matter if you're male or female, is exempt. On their own, no one can outsmart death. But as Christians, believers in Christ, or Christ followers, we have an exit strategy. We have the promise. Cathedrals used to Sing a song, I've read the back of the book and we've won. We've gone through the message about sinners, about Jesus, about eternal life, about holiness, being washed, 
about what Christ did with his death, burial, and resurrection. And now with our growth. John 14, 1-3 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You can be a Mr. McCoon that left it up to random thoughts of somebody maybe coming. But for the believer, we can know. Jesus says when somebody accepts Christ and we're born again believer and we are a child of God, he says, I go to prepare a place for you and if I have gone, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. Have you planned for your exit strategy? The colors of salvation have eternal value, but they also have eternal consequences. Not accepting Jesus and the gift that is offered through the cross is an eternal consequence. As we sit here today, we need to think about that. Do we have our exit strategy planned? Have we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ that we now know that because we are his, he's gone to prepare a place and he's going to come back for us? Or have we failed to make that plan? Are you a workman who is not ashamed? Have you made the effort to share with friends, family, and strangers alike? Are you excited about the gospel? Do you know your final destination? See, this series we've gone through wasn't just to say, hey, I want to teach you to teach others. But I wanted it for each of us to look at ourselves and make sure that we know, because God wants us to know, that he holds us in the palm of his hand and that he wants us to be his child. The stories there were sinners. Christ paid for our sins. He offers eternal life. He wants a holy life for us. He wants to cleanse us of our sins, as pictured through baptism. And he wants us to grow in the knowledge of him and of his grace. Have you settled that question? If you have, that's wonderful. But there's a whole world out there that hasn't. Some are our family members, some of our friends. Some might be co-workers. It's an important and probably the most important question that you can ask somebody. You got the tools. Are you going to use them? Let's pray. Father, as we've come to you, as we've learned step by step, really about your love for us. It's been nothing new the last six weeks ever since you walked this earth and actually even through the Old Testament the redemption story was told about a redeemer that would come 
and through Jesus Christ, your only Son, you have offered salvation. Father, help us not to turn a deaf ear. Lord, if we're sitting here today and we are unsure, Lord, we need to settle that question. We need to make the decision. Today is the day of salvation. And Lord, for those loved ones, those friends, our co-workers, those in our community, strangers, Lord, that don't know, they're much like Mr. McCoon that's just out in the wilderness, left to their own means. And as he said, this is sure a slow and agonizing way to die. Father, we want them to know that you offer life and that more abundantly. That there's no sin that can't be forgiven, no stain that can't be washed clean. By faith, through grace, our salvation comes. May we share that message with those around us. Lord, work in our lives. Give us the desire and the passion to share your message with those around us. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.